Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be together. I'm going to go straight to Scripture as we're diving into a brand new sermon series, as Pastor Denise shared. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John chapter 16, verse 12 to 15, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I have said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity that you grant us to meet together as a church body, to study your word, to hear from you. We pray you'd speak to every single one of us. Holy Spirit, as we're reading scripture about you, teaching us who you are, would you reveal yourself to each and every one of us in a fresh, transformative way? And as we just read, would you glorify Jesus in our midst? And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to grow in our love and our affection for you. We pray you'd be with us in Jesus' name, amen. If you have been journeying with us for the last many weeks, we were just in a sermon series titled Applying the Gospel. And the idea of that sermon series was that often we apply or sit with the seminal truths of the Christian faith just once a year when it comes up for us. And so we'll think about the crucifixion on Good Friday. We'll think about the empty tomb of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. We'll think about the incarnation during Christmas But we've been arguing this idea of what would it look like for us to continuously apply the truths of the gospel in our everyday life, uh, in the situations that call for truth and power and grace that we don't have in ourselves, we can run and apply the gospel. And though that sermon series ended, in many ways, it did not end because as we enter in this brand new sermon series, it is not a disconnect or a uh, kind of a tangent. Actually, it's a very seamless transition. It dovetails very much so because this sermon series that we're entering into is quite simply called the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at the person and power and presence and work of the Holy Spirit because if you may not be aware, there's another very important date in the Christian calendar that's coming up in just a few weeks. It's called Pentecost Sunday. And on that day, historically, was the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And we'll unpack that and understand what that means. And so for the next several weeks leading up to Pentecost Sunday, we're going to take a deep dive in Scripture and study and understand who the Holy Spirit is, what's His work in our lives, His purpose, and what does it mean for us to have a transforming, vital, living, dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
But as a way of getting to know each other, I realize over the last several uh, months, we have had quite a few people that have joined our church brand new, and we're so glad you did. Um, and so I thought as a way of introduction, getting to know each other a little bit, as well as a very honest segue into this series, I thought I'd just share some parts of my story. So I grew up in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. How many Brooklyn people in the house? All right, one, two. All right, wow. Uh, normally that doesn't happen. Um, uh, how many Queens people in the house? All right, all right, all right, settle down now. Um, and so I, I grew up in a single parent home. I was born February 5th, 1980. So I'm, a 19, I'm an 80s kid. Um, Okay, um, appreciate that. Uh, but I grew up during New York, at a time in New York that was not uh, really all that, not all that great. Um, if you're familiar with the 80s and 90s in New York, it was a turbulent time, um, riddled by crime. Uh, the crack epidemic was sweeping through New York City, and my neighborhood was no exception. It took a huge toll. At one point, my neighborhood, there was a 48% high school dropout rate. Um, so the hopelessness and, and the lack of vision for the future was permeating everything. And one of the things that was a very distinct characteristic of my neighborhood, looking back, which was predominantly Latino, uh, first it was predominantly Puerto Rican, then eventually it diversified uh, Dominican, um, Latin American. Um, but during that time, I remember the majority of my friends were from fatherless homes, all single-parent homes, and most of us grew up on public assistance. Uh, and so this was the dynamic that we were growing up in, but I'll rewind the clock back even a little bit further. We're really going to get to know each other. Um, before I even entered into this world, it was some trauma and some layers of difficulty that were existing before I even arrived in that my mom and my dad actually were not married. He was married. She was not married to him. And so as a result, uh, they had an adulterous affair. My sister was born. My sister's 18 months older than me, my best friend in the world, the funniest person you'll ever know. Um, it caused great scandal, great shame. At that point, my mom said, hey, this was a mistake. I will raise my daughter by myself. This relationship is over to which my dad said, no, it's over when I say it's over. And he was quite aggressive. He would break into her apartment, wait for her at the end of her work shift. And, and long story short, I'm conceived. And at this point, he says, this isn't going to happen again. You're not going to ruin my life again. And so he insisted that she get an abortion. And so he took her to the abortion clinic three times. And each time she went, she lied that she went through with it. And when he realized she would lie, he beat her to try to force a miscarriage. On the third time, she went and was going to get an abortion. Someone stopped her in the parking lot and told her, don't abort this child. God has a plan for this child. She wept uncontrollably, got on a plane that day, flew to Puerto Rico with my sister, gave birth to me. Six months after that, my dad died. Didn't know him, grew up in a single-parent home. This was the context under which I'm growing up in New York City, and then at the age of 14, 
a friend of mine invites me to a church on a Sunday. And I was so disrespectful to him because <laughs> he actually came and was talking to me at a basketball court. And while he was talking to me, I was very disrespectful. Um, there's young kids in the room, so I'll avoid specifically what I was doing, but I was doing some criminal things, um, and I was uh, sharing those criminal things in the form of a vapor in his face. Um, and he just kept talking to me about Jesus, and I was like, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm going to pick you up on Sunday. And sure enough, he came. Uh, I remember that Sunday morning so vividly. He, his voice, uh, we still call him Old Man Frankie, because he, he, he though he was a teenager, and he would sound like, Chris, like that. That's how he always sounded. And so that Sunday morning, Chris, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I come with him to church, and for the first time, I saw people. I didn't have the language for it then, but I knew I was watching people enjoy God. I knew I was in a room with people that weren't just like, intellectually assenting to the belief and the reality and the person of God. I knew at a 14-year-old intelligence, I knew these folks seemed to have a dynamic relationship with God. I could sense a presence that I had never felt before. And, and I'm talking all of that under the, the, the umbrella of this idea called the imminence of God. The imminence of God. It's this idea that we get from Scripture that God is not just transcendent and just above and beyond, but he's also close. He's near. He can be experienced in a very real, uh, tangible way even, that he's accessible. He's not just a mental construct. He's not just a doctrine we believe I, seeing people that day not just believe in God, but enjoying him, seeing a joy in their face. And I'll never forget, I left church that day, and I saw a friend that I used to get high with. And, and he said, hey, you already getting high? I'm like, no, nah, man. What's, he was like, what's, your, your face looks different. Come on, tell me what you're doing. I was like, I just left church, man. What's going on? It was like, Nah, man, I know you're getting high. And he just walked away. Like my very face, just being in that presence, leaving that environment, a change was evident. And I saw joy in those people's faces that I had never had seen before. Fast forward a few months after that experience, I give my life to Christ. And I have this radical encounter with Jesus that changes me completely and begins this journey that I'm still on today. When we look at what Jesus tells us in the verses of Scripture that we read, he tells us of a very important dynamic. And let me give you some context. Today, I'll, I'll admit this sermon is a struggle for me because I feel like a fire hose and I'm trying to contain myself. Because, like, we got weeks to cover everything, and I just want to blast everything right now. Because what I realized so powerfully for me as I've been studying these scriptures is what I'm really doing, I'm talking about my best friend. The realization that all these years the Holy Spirit has really been my best friend. I don't always treat him that way. I don't always acknowledge him. 
But man, has he been the greatest friend I've ever had or will ever have. And Jesus describes this relationship that we are invited to have with the Holy Spirit in these really powerful ways. The first kind of big idea that we see that Jesus alludes to is that the Spirit will be in us. Could you say that? The Spirit will be in us. For those of us who profess faith in Jesus, who uh, profess him as Lord and, and believe that he died, that he was buried for our sins, that he rose to justify us, the scriptures tell us that Jesus will dwell in our hearts by faith through the Holy Spirit. And so what what makes it possible for Jesus to dwell in your heart, in my heart, in your heart, and and though you're in Queens and you're in Long Island City and you're in Brooklyn and we're all all in these different places, yet he's living and dwelling inside of us. He accomplishes that, the scriptures tell us, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of believers. In fact, the scriptures tell us that you and I are a temple of God that you are a walking, living, breathing temple, that the presence of God dwells in you. Have you ever thought about that for a second? The living God who created all the universe, he also lives inside of you as a believer. He inhabits this, this world in you and through you. And part of that relationship of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, Jesus said in John 14, verse 26, He says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. As the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, what he's actively doing, he's teaching us and he's reminding us of everything that Jesus has said. This is a key role and job of the Holy Spirit. If you like, as you hear the word Holy Spirit, some of us like, man, that sounds spooky. That sounds mystifying. Let me, let me simplify it as best as as I can from the scriptures. If you want to be attentive and aware of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine, one of the key things that Jesus said he would be doing is constantly reminding us of everything that Jesus has said. So that tells us two things. One, it tells us we are some forgetful people. God knew that though we should remember what he said above all things, he knew that we would need help. He knew that one of the main things that you you and I would constantly do is have a form of spiritual amnesia where we would forget, where we would drift, where our minds would wander, where we would get distracted, And thanks be to God, he comes to our rescue and says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to live inside of you. And one of the ways he is going to help you is he's going to keep reminding you of everything I have said. Look at what else that Jesus says elsewhere in the New Testament. John 16, verse 7, he says, but truly, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It's fascinating. Pastor Denise touched on this a few weeks ago when she spoke on this text. From Jesus' perspective, 
Him going away was the best thing he could do for us. Because unless he went away, he would not send the Holy Spirit. But upon his exit from this world, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he said when that would happen, the promise would be fulfilled. He would send the Holy Spirit. And he said, this would be good for us. And so the question that we should ask is, what is so good? Why is this good? What's so good about this relationship that Jesus says we would have? Well, for instance, in John 16, 12 to 15, the verses that we read when we began, Jesus describes our faith in him as this living dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live Christ-centered lives. I absolutely love the last song we sang today because it really gets at the heart of one of the good works and the goodness of the Holy Spirit coming. When Jesus says, this is for your good, one of the good things the Holy Spirit accomplishes in your life and mine is that he empowers us to live Christ-centered lives. If you've struggled with keeping Jesus at the center of your life, the good news is that struggle is not yours alone to solve. He promised and delivered the Holy Spirit in large part in order to solve that very problem. The tendency of you and I to allow other things to become the central driving force of our lives, God's remedy was not to ask us to try harder, to guilt and shame us out of that. His remedy was, I'm going to send you a helper. And one of his main works is that he is going to keep you centered and grounded on me. I like to think of it this way. If, let's just say, have you ever broke night? I remember as a kid... That was like the penultimate goal. How many remember? It? Like, I want to I stay awake past midnight. Now as an adult, that's just a terrible idea. I was just like, let me go to bed at 7, please. Uh, it, it's, that would be so fun. But my kids say no. Um, if you broke night with the Holy Spirit, you were just hanging out with the Holy Spirit, and he's sitting across the table from you, and you're just chopping it up with the Holy Spirit, you know all he would want to talk about the whole night is Jesus. That's all he would want to talk about. He wouldn't want to talk about him. He wouldn't want to draw attention to himself or anything else. All he would want to do is point to Jesus. I love that about the Holy Spirit. And that, that actually, for me, feels like the safest, most uh, clearest mandate that we have from Scripture as a church, uh, not just as a local church, but the church at large, the best expression of the church is when we are all about Jesus. When it's not a personality, it's not a brand, it's not a name, it's not anything where we are living as a community, pointing people to a living, transformative relationship with Jesus, where Jesus is constantly the head of the church. And we are pointing people to that relationship where he is Lord, he is guiding, he is driving, he is directing, not us, 
as leaders, as pastors, not people over one another. No, it's the Holy Spirit empowering us to have this Christ-centered life. Jesus promises us this amazing relationship with the Holy Spirit. And, but it's important to note that this relationship is very different than substitutes that our society tries to put before us. Our society, if you notice, is not lacking in hunger for supernatural things. There's CEOs that buy crystals and hang them around their necks. I heard of a hotel in the city that has on staff an actual witch. On staff, just in case you want to stay and you want to have a consultation. It, it literally, it permeates so many aspects of our society. We are hungering for the supernatural, for the metaphysical, for something bigger than us. But one thing that's very different about how society proposes this and how Jesus proposes this, society invites us to access the supernatural in a way that you can control it, that you can access it and use it for your purposes, for your wishes. It's a resource that you can use and dominate over. Jesus says, you can have a supernatural life. You can have a transcendent life. You can have a relationship with the extreme other, but you won't control it. You won't drive it. It's not a resource that you can manipulate. It's a person that you learn to have a relationship with. Look at how he says it this way. John 16, verse 8 to 11, it says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. One of the ways the Holy Spirit is active and living in our lives and the vast difference, he can't be controlled or manipulated uh, like a resource, right? like he's not some token that gives us access to something supernatural that we can tell and drive. One of the ways that he asserts his deity in us and through us is by his work of conviction. The Holy Spirit, you know he's active in your life when you sense and heed his conviction his gentle nudge that we're about to step out of the boundaries. How many have, a, have, a, have a, an experience or a memory? Maybe you can think of something immediately that happened this past week where you were just about to say something and you sense the Holy Spirit say, you don't have to say that. Don't say that. Don't go in that direction. And if you listened... Like, oh, man, that was great. That was so wise. Thank God. And then if you didn't, you're like, oh, man, I did it again. I did it again. I... It, it, in, in everyday moments, subtle, big, small, he's present. He's convicting us. Jesus says that some of the big things that he would be guiding us is about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so the Holy Spirit is constantly present in our lives, driving us away from things that would distract us from God, 
cause us to live displeasing lives from him. The Holy Spirit is constantly convicting us about righteousness, about judgment. I wish we had time to unpack this. We will during the series. Again, I'm more talking to myself because I just, ah. Um, the Holy Spirit, one of the greatest gifts that Jesus has given us through the Holy Spirit is that we have his abiding presence and that we are never alone. We're never alone. That he's with us through the Spirit. You know, years ago, um, when we first started the church, September 2012, I joined the staff of this church July of 2013, became lead pastor December 2015. Um, during those first couple years, there was a time where I was traveling quite a bit, I was preaching at different churches, and some of that motivation was to raise funds to, uh, to support my family, um, as well as this church. And, but years ago, made the decision that I didn't want to do that anymore because I said, God, you're just going to have to provide elsewhere or some other way because I just didn't like the time away from my family, the time away from the church. Um, but during those times, my kids would do a really cute thing. We could put the slide up of the pictures. Um, they would insist that when I would go on trips that I should take some of their friends say, Dad, we don't want you to be alone. But here was the kicker. It was like, but we also want to feel like we're with you. So they insisted that I would take these things out and take pictures with these things in various places. And me trying to be a good sport, I would do so. Let me tell you, there were times on the plane where people next to me thinking, oh, what kind of a passenger is this? doing a little photo shoot with figurines before the plane uh, takes off. Um, but the sentiment was absolutely adorable. We don't want you to be alone, Dad. We want you to know you're, we're with you. Let them remind you of us. In many ways, Jesus has given us his spirit for the same motive, that we would never be alone, that he would always remind us of him, that his presence, his work would always be an active reality in our life. There's so much I want to say, so much that we can say, but I want to acknowledge something because we're going to get into so many different things. In this series, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about his work in us as believers in the, in the journey of salvation. We're going to talk about so many things. But from jump, I want to acknowledge that not everyone probably shares my enthusiasm for this series. I'm talking about some of us in this room just hearing that we're going to get into the Holy Spirit drums up potentially some religious trauma. Um, because maybe you have seen some excess, some abuse, some misuse of Scripture. Um, and so you're like, oh, no, let, please, let's not get into that. I've been enjoying this church so far. <laughs> don't, don't go off the cliff. I, I need you to understand, um, for us, we have zero desire to follow 
any of the stuff that would take us off course. Um, part of my journey, I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal culture and environment. That's where I came to Christ in. And so I saw amazing things. I saw people healed of incurable diseases. I saw the power of God at work in ways that were absolutely awe-inspiring. The reality of the Spirit of God, I could keep you here for days telling you of miracle after miracle that I've seen with my very eyes and also from very credible people that I know are not into hype and BS, that they want the real thing. And that's one of the tragedies of when it comes to the Holy Spirit, when that there's been expressions of hype and, and all this manipulation. You don't have to do that when the real thing exists. Like, imagine if you had access to millions and millions of dollars in a vault and you then, but still decided to create counterfeit money. That would not make sense. It's just like, you have the real thing. Why are you going to create the counterfeit? It, the real thing is so much better than the hype and manipulation. We want none of that. We've been intentional to make sure that we pastor our church in a way that we create room for the Holy Spirit, but we do so with shepherding involved, with guidance, we, we, with, with pastoring in the process. Because here's what we want. We want to intentionally avoid the excess while we cling to the essence. We want the essence of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's important to know some context when it comes to charismatic, Pentecostal kind of churches. There are some excesses. Oftentimes, there's an emphasis on miracles, manifestations, and meetings, um, gatherings that typically replace Christ-centered mission. And so, ironically, the more spirit-filled the church is in some of these excess situations, the less Jesus-centered it is. That doesn't make sense when we consider that if all the Spirit wants to do is talk about Jesus, and the more Spirit-filled the church is, the more Christ-centered it should be. And so there's some excesses that exist in, in that tradition that I think is important to name. A lot of times in the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, we elevate anointed, gifted people, even if they don't have the character to, to substantiate that kind of authority. Um, it, there, there's so many excesses that exist. But despite that, you may be wondering, you have a good thing going. Why get into the quagmire? Why get into the weeds? You know, just be kind of just a straight lace, no fuss, just simple church. Why get into all this? Answer is very simple. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be good for us. If Jesus said having the Holy Spirit active in our lives would be good for us, then we're simple enough to believe him. If he said we need the Holy Spirit, we're simple enough to believe that. If, he, if the Holy Spirit is offering the church gifts, then it's because we need every single one of his gifts in order for us to be Christ-like, Christ-centered, and to fulfill his work. And so if we're leaving no gifts on the table, if he offers them, we are going to 
figure out how to open them, access them, use them for his glory, for his renown. We want the Holy Spirit to be fully welcomed in our church. And that means in salvation, in character formation, as well as in the gifts of the Spirit. We want it all if he's offering this all to us. I'll close with this story. I'll never forget it. Um, this was, wow, 2017. I was actually speaking at uh, a youth service in Brooklyn. It was a Friday night. Um, funny story. Uh, so most people don't know, but I actually wrote a book. And in my mother's words, she's like, why couldn't you write a book that everybody would want to buy? And so... <laughs> That's, she wasn't incorrect. Um, the book is very niche. It's for preachers. The book is for churches who want to train preachers. It's kind of a pre-seminary primer. Um, it came out in 2018. Uh, it's been just wildly blessed. Uh, it's been translated to Spanish, French, Portuguese. It's being used in different parts of the country. Been able to train like over 2,000 leaders across the country. It's been wild what God's done with it. All of that came from this experience, 2017, with these young people. I was training youth uh, in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, how to preach, how to handle God's word faithfully. And in that process, I was preaching for this church a couple nights, uh, a couple times a month on a Friday night. This one Friday night, um, it was the third Friday that I had preached for them. First time I came, there was like 15 kids, preached, said, hey, I'm coming back next week. Why don't you invite your friends? And next Friday, there was like 40 kids. I was like, man, this don't, I do this with my adult church. It doesn't work that way, you know. So, so I thought, this is cool. And so then preach and say, hey, invite your friends. The next Friday, there was over 80 kids. And I was like, whoa. And that Friday, the Holy Spirit ripped through that place. The, the best way I could describe, you know when you're waiting for the train and then it comes and it gives you that blast of air, <laughs> albeit it's contaminated, but whatever, you know, it just feels really good. It felt like the Holy Spirit ripped. It was like, whoa, kids were coming to Christ. It was wild. Everything that was happening in the front row, there was this kid. He had never been to church his whole life. Teenager. First time stepping foot in a church service. And this kid, like many kids in the hood, he was decked out. Probably had like a couple thousand dollars worth of clothes on him. It looked really fresh. He's shaking his head in the front at the end of the service, like kind of like. So I walk over to him. He didn't have any religious language. I say, yo, you okay? And he said, yo, this is mad positive. <laughs> they, they, it, he didn't have religious language to explain the sense of the presence of God, the reality of God, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you're at, if you're feeling cautious, I want to encourage you, the real thing is beautiful. It's transformative, and we need it especially for the sake of reaching people that don't know Jesus. We need all of the Holy Spirit for that work. But if you're here, and maybe you're not feeling cautious, maybe you're feeling dry. 
Maybe as I've been talking, you're hearing me describe truths that were once foundational, active, and core in your life that maybe have been shelved. Maybe you don't presently have an intimate, ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe he isn't convicting you, helping you keep Jesus at the center. Wherever you're at during this series, we're going to see God meet us in a powerful way. Could I invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward? And as we stand, can I invite you to pray a very simple prayer? It's actually regarded as the oldest prayer of the Christian church. And it's the simplest prayer. If you would feel comfortable, could we just stretch out our hands, our palms open to the Lord. And the prayer is simply this. Come, Holy Spirit. What's powerful about that simple prayer, it actually, when we say that prayer, that's not the Holy Spirit's invitation to come. It's actually more accurate to say it's our invitation to be attentive to him because he's there he's with us he's present but we're acknowledging him as we pray these words Holy Spirit we're asking for your fullness to be a living reality in our lives we just don't want your power we want your person we want your conviction. We want your guidance. We want your truth. We need your comfort. We need your help. So we pray, come. As we respond in these next few moments in song, the prayer team is in the back, to my left and your right. They would love to pray with you regarding anything that you're carrying, anything that you need prayer for, anything this message might have stirred. So in these next few moments, you could slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. But let's turn our hearts to the living God. Let's worship him in these next few moments.